Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. There's one in four. Oh, hell, hell, Jesus' name,
turn in your Bibles to the book of Nahum. Blow the dust off of that one, though. Blow the dust off that. Somebody said, I didn't know that was in the Bible. I should say, everybody turn to the book of Hezekiah. <laughs> well, I can't find that in my, it's not in there. I'm just kidding. That was a joke. Amen. But I can assure you that Nahum is in the Bible. Amen. And he's one of the, what's called the minor prophets. And minor doesn't mean the message is minor. It just means he was one of the, uh, wasn't one of the big guns, okay? But yet, uh, I think that's a misnomer. I think all of these men were big guns, amen? Now, Nahum, his prophet, he prophesied in Judah about 150 years after Jonah. I mean, remember Jonah. Swallowed by the big fish. Jonah's main thrust by God was to go to a, a city of, of called Nineveh in a country we would call Assyria. Now, in the Bible, you have in the book of Revelation by John listing seven previous kingdoms. And the, out of the, the seventh kingdom that is to come, which we haven't seen yet, will come an eighth, and he will continue for a short while, and that will be the kingdom of the Antichrist. But John lists seven previous kingdoms. Daniel only lists four. What's the big difference is that John distinguishes the seventh into an empire that breaks away into the kingdom of Antichrist. Where, and he also goes back two kingdoms before Daniel. They don't contradict. One just gives a little more information and detail, but the kingdoms of the world that are what we call world-dominating empires, okay, are this. The first one is Egypt. Everybody got that? Egypt. We'll say one. Number two is Assyria. They dominated the whole world. Number three is Babylon. Dominated the whole world. Number four is Media Persia. Dominated the whole world. Number five is Greece. Dominated the whole world. Number six is Rome. Dominated the whole world. Now that's all we've had so far. Six. John said there's coming a seventh. And it will be of the sixth, okay? That is Rome. So there's a revived Rome coming. All these kingdoms, Egypt was conquered by Assyria, Assyria conquered by Babylon, Babylon was conquered by Media Persia, Media Persia was conquered by Greece, Greece was taken over by Rome, Rome has never gone away. It just ceased to exist as a Roman Empire 15, after 1500 years. They're coming back. What, what have we seen in world history over the last 400 years? We've seen the Gentile fragments of the Roman Empire, whether it's Spain, Britain, France, you had France under Napoleon. They, uh, they tried to revive the Roman Empire and each one failed. Russian under the czars. The czar is the Russian word for Caesar. 
they failed. Germany under the Kaisers, they failed. You had England trying to rule the world, they, they disappeared. You had Germany, Nazi Germany, they disappeared. Tried to set up a thousand year right. That war ended 75 years ago. We call it World War Number 2. Who's dominating the globe today? Can you tell me that? Throw out a country. We think we are. The United States. The United States is. Now, is the United States that seventh empire? I propose they're not. No, they're not. And here's what I want to say. But is the United States not mentioned in Bible prophecy or not there at all? Over there. Over there. We are Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots. Remember that title. That's kind of a, a nasty title. <laughs> now, you have in America, you have the United States, and then you have this entity, Mystery Babylon. I don't believe they're the same. I don't believe everybody that's in America is, is a Mystery Babylon. I don't believe we're all bad or evil. I believe that that's the role that this nation will take in the latter day and is taking that mystery Babylon. It's a mystery because how could this be? What is the role? What does mystery Babylon do? She creates the seventh empire, the, the revived Roman empire. You say, what, what does that mean, pastor? Um, that seventh empire, how does she... She's descriptive as a woman, a harlot. Remember that term, harlot? Riding a beast. The beast has seven heads and ten horns. And she's described, this beast, as the final empire. Okay? That's the seventh empire. So if the woman's riding the beast, she's not the beast. The beast is the seventh empire. It's the revived Roman empire. The United States, in some form called Mystery Bad, will make that Seventh Empire reality. And out of once that, we would call it the UN, we would call it the League of Nations, whatever you want to call it, a one world government, a global government will come up in the last days. We haven't seen it yet, but it's going to come, and this woman will bring it into power. Now, in doing that, out of, once it comes into power, once it's in vogue, there'll come a, a coup in that ten nation. And seven of those kings will, will go up, three will go up against the seven, and they'll defeat the three. And the Antichrist will rule over that empire for seven years. Okay? That's how John is very descriptive. We're on the cusp right now. Where are we at in history? I can tell you exactly where we're at. We're in the United States and a war, civil war is raging. Whether it's, it's not guns in the streets yet. And hopefully it doesn't get to that. I mean, I don't want that, do you? But what we see is a fight over Who's going to put us into a global government? Do you see that now? Okay, what is Mr. Trump doing? He is the only one. Think about this for a minute. He's hated by all the, all the Democrats. Can you agree with me on that? 
They hate it. What's their agenda? We're going to do. We're not going to pass another new one. He, he hasn't even put a Supreme Court justice on. The, the fellow just said he was resigned, and he's supposed to tomorrow make the announcement. They've already said they're going to oppose him or whoever it's going to be. I think it'll be a her. I'll just throw that out there. But they'll, they'll be opposed. Don't even care what they believe. They're opposing. Why? Because it's not a battle of Democrat versus Republican that we're looking at. It's between globalism and nationalism. Why is that important in a church setting, preacher? Why are you talking about that? Let me, let me explain something to you. God is against globalism. Read the book. Nationalism means, doesn't, now nationalism is not racism, it's not I hate other people or other countries, okay? Nationalism says this is my country, these are my borders, these are our laws and our customs and how we work, and this is what we're going to maintain a system of law and order within this country. Now, you go to the book of Acts, and in the Bible it says God set the boundaries of man's habitation where he should live. Who did? God did. Now, ultimately, as I said, there will be a one-world government that's under Jesus Christ, but not under man. Man cannot govern himself. He's not fit. Why? We're corrupt. Somebody gets in power, I'm going to take advantage of you because I can't. See, God is not that way. He's holy. He's good. He's not going to hurt nobody. People get in power. They get tempted. They get drawn away. And they do bad things. Sadly. We're watching a coup. We're in a coup. I hope we're doing more than watching. I hope we're praying. We know what side we're on. What is God doing in America today? I'm going to tell you this. <clears throat> Some people would think, well, well God's going to let Trump turn everything around and we're going to go back and be a godly nation. I don't believe that at all. Okay? Do I support President Trump? Yes, I do. Do I think he's doing the right thing? Yes, I do. He is put there by God to reveal to the people the, what's going on. Now if you can, can understand and discern what you see happening in this country, you know, you should know if you're halfway intelligent that they're lying about his man, they're doing everything they're going to get rid of him. There is an agenda that's going on. I mean, when you tell people you can't go to a restaurant because you work for the president, we'll throw you out, we'll harass you down the street. Uh, if you tell people, uh, you, you know, and you call them bigots and Nazis and racists, yet you're the one who's the bigot, the Nazi, and the racist. I've been called a hater. You don't love the homosexual. Yes, I do. But I don't agree with homosexuality as a lifestyle. Does that make me a hater? Just means I don't agree with that. Now, let me ask you a question. Have you known of any Christians throwing gays off the roofs of buildings? Do you have any instances of that? 
Do you have any instances of Christian people shooting people in public? Have you seen any Republicans shooting anybody in public? Who's doing the shooting? The people that hate Trump, the liberals and the left wing and the progressives, they're the ones doing the violence, but they claim they stand for free speech. But as soon as you disagree with them, you're the one that's wrong. So they really don't stand for free speech. Now notice the left-wing liberals who, like I said last week, one minute we're marching because we don't want to take children away from their mothers. By the middle of the week, we want to have a right to kill our babies up to nine months. What, what, what makes sense about that? You're for children, but you're for killing them. You're insane. We're not going to vote for anybody that's put on the Supreme Court because they want to overturn Roe v. Wade. You know what if they overturn Roe v. Wade tomorrow? I think that'd be wonderful. I'd celebrate. But to a leftist, they'll cry and bellow and moan because you, you're stopping me from killing people. You see I mean? Where have we gone? Now, this is why I say Trump is not in office to turn it around. Because we're too far gone to turn it around. And here's why I know. I know that I know. Now you hear preachers that talk about we got a revival coming. I don't believe a word of that. You don't know your book. I mean, here's why I know the revival comes when God's word is preached and people respond to the word of God and get saved. No other way. President is not going to get in a revival to the United States. He's revealing what's happening. You and I have a choice, and we can take take sides. I want to talk today about catastrophe, urban catastrophe, but it really deals with national catastrophe as well. So in Nahum chapter one, we're going to go through Nahum, and we'll look at the three chapters there, in, and that's all it is in the book. It's a small book. And we'll see four small points of emphasis there. And again, Nineveh, he, Nahum was about 150 years after Jonah. And of course, Nineveh was, Nineveh was later destroyed. It was 100 years later. 100 years after Nahum. So in other words, Nahum was preaching a message of judgment and destruction to Nineveh. But it didn't happen for 100 years. I mean, he was dead and gone. See, a lot of times we'll hear a message in church and the preacher's preaching a message and, and the conviction is strong and it's a word from God and, and sometimes we think, well, it's going to have to happen like right now. It took a hundred years. But everything they have said came to pass exactly like he said it would. Except for a few things that we're still waiting on to come to pass yet. We'll see as we look at it. So this was Nineveh being dealt with by God as the second world-dominating empire. There's only been six. There will be seven and an eighth. And this was a period of 200, about 250 years. How long has the United States been a nation? Almost 
242 years. About the time of Nineveh existence. Could it be possible America could come on the world scene, dominate the world, and then be gone? Well, my message today says there's a possibility that could very well happen. And this preacher believes it will. On the fourth of But you know what? God is not done. And that's not a message of doom and gloom altogether. That's not what I'm here. That's not what I'm about. I want you to hear the good part. But there's a dark cloud, but in that dark cloud there is a silver lining. Somebody say amen. Hallelujah. There is a message of hope. I want to give you an illustration uh, this morning. And for me, this is the perfect... Pastor Jerry doesn't do perfect illustrations. I'm a lack of illustration kind of guy. I try to do illustrations. But I'm going to give you one. To me, this is the perfect illustration you know, of the person of God. Okay? And I want you to get this. Catch this. There were six... There's a story... That, that was written some years ago. There were six blind men. Okay? Six blind men. And they were taken to, quote, see, unquote, an elephant. Now let us it. Six blind men who were taken to go see an elephant. Okay? Now the first blind man went up to the elephant. He was led by the hand up to this is an elephant. And he reached his arm around his leg and hugged it. And felt it. He came back as his five button. Well, what's it like? What's the elephant? He said, Man, the elephant is like a giant tree. That's what the elephant is like, a big tree trunk. Second guy was led up to the elephant. And he grabbed him by the snout. Elephant kind of wrapped his arm around him. And he felt the... And he came back and they said, what's the elephant like? He said, man, the elephant's like a snake. It's just like a snake. The third guy went up and... He, he reached up and grabbed it by the tail. He said, oh, what's that elephant? What's that elephant like? He said, it's like a rope. That elephant is like a rope. The two other guys ran up there, one over up to his side. He's like, the other fella grabbed his tusk. They got together. They were like, what is this elephant like? The guy said, man, it's just like a wall. It's just like a wall. The other guy said, no, man, he's, he's like a sharp sword. Do you know that all six of them were right? But here's what I want you to get. All six of them were wrong. You know why they were wrong? Because the elephant is more than the sum of his parts. And they could only see what? One thing about the elephant that happened to be true. But they couldn't see the whole elephant. 
Now, you know, we go and transfer that to the church world. And we hear, you know, many preachers and teachers love to talk about the love of God. Love of God. His patience with man and with sinners. And you know, those are true attributes of God. when we just consider them alone, they mislead us like the blind men were misled about what the elephant was. God is love. But He's far more than that. You know, we think just like them, well, just like the man said, he's just like a tree. And he swear by it. He, it's just like a tree trunk. Well, you know, I know God is love. God is love. But the man was misled. He only saw one aspect of that elephant. Not the elephant. When we preach the love of God and only the love of God, that's, that's, that's misleading people if that's where we're at. We need to understand, church, something about the totality of God's nature. Amen? We can't hope, hope to understand how He acts unless we know how He really, really is. Amen. We're going to look at some things today. Four things, and I won't be long, I promise. We, we, we'll get out of here just like we normally would. Amen. I'm not going to go long. We started later. But number one, we'll see God's vengeance. Did you know God is a vengeance? Look, look, look at what it says here. And, and really, this is the salvation of the, and the theme of the book of David. Chapter 1, verse 2. God is a jealous and avenging God. He is the Lord. The Lord is avenging and wrathful. The Lord takes vengeance on His adversaries and He reserves wrath for His enemies. Now some weeks ago I told you there are a lot of Churches moving into the, and, and, and a lot of liberalism coming into the church, a lot of progressivism, a lot of uh, theology, bad theology. And, and I mentioned this: they want to do away with the Old Testament. Did you hear me say that? Why? Because of this, what I just read. Now, my illustration tells you should tell you otherwise. These men should know better. Especially if you're teaching people, ministering to people, you should know the God who you're talking about. They, they say the God of the Old Testament is obsolete because He's a vengeful, wrathful God who, 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 who goes after His enemies and, and, and He's spiteful and hateful. And that's the God of the Old Testament. Is it really? Is that really God? Or are they looking at the tail? Or are they looking at the trunk? Are they really looking at the whole picture? They want to focus in on the love of Jesus. You know, you just keep sinning and living wickedly and, and God loves you and pats you on the head. Is that God? No. Is God just a vengeful God who's going to destroy the sinner and the wicked just like we read? No. Each one is a, a, a part of His makeup and His nature. You can't say God is love without saying He'll judge sin and He's just. Both are part of His nature. Now, 
God is perfect, how many believe God is perfect? That when God avenges and pours out His wrath and judgment on His enemies, that must be perfect. Is that not right? It is. But He's not like us. When I get mad or angry or vengeful, what happens? I, I sin. I think, man, I blow off. Come on. Do you know God doesn't do that? Everything's in control. When He judges, it's in love. Think about that. He's not like we are. That's why we bow before Him and we worship Him. He, he always does something good. Now what I want us to see is the fact, and we're talking about God's vengeance here, He's declaring it on a people whom He's been very, very patient with. We're talking about 150 years. Come on. Actually, it'd be 250 years before He finally just unleashed why? He had no choice. Now to be patient, that's patient. Now we look around in America, we can see some things going on. We can see some unrighteousness going on. We see some things in the government. I'm like, I'm seeing some things in the government. Hello? Are you seeing some things at the top levels of the FBI and the State Department? All that? In my book, let's, let's, let's take care of business. The gallows need to be built and we need to start hanging people like right now. That's me. Amen. Amen. But I'm I'm not God. I'm not God. I'm me. I'm frying right now. Come on, man. <laughs> but they will face his judgment and his justice. Okay, they will. Just like this the, the, the Assyrians would, and he's talking about the city of Nineveh in particular, they would find that they would deal with him. Uh, verse 3, The Lord is slow to anger, great in power, and the Lord will be a whirlwind and a storm in His way. Clouds are in the dust beneath His feet. What He's saying is, God is merciful. He's slow to anger. But when He unleashes His vengeance, it's like a force of nature that man cannot deal with. You know, there was an unusual epidemic recently of tornadoes that broke out in April last year in Ohio uh, and nearby states doing millions, multiplied millions of dollars worth of damage, making hundreds of persons homeless, unusual atmospheric conditions caused the sudden twisters and there was nothing the people who lived in the area could do to save their property. One man managed to break all the windows in his home, stabilize the air pressure, and actually save his home. But when a great natural calamity breaks loose, a tornado, hurricane, something like that, a tidal wave, man is helpless, completely helpless. And this is really the picture that the prophet Nahum is painting for us here in this story. When God unleashes His anger against sin, man will be helpless in the grip of devastation that will come. It is, it's coming. We see an escalation of events in the natural world that, that is unprecedented. Earthquakes in diverse places. Somebody help me preach now. We see volcanoes erupting. We see fault lines about to go. We see hot heat waves and people dying. We see uh, all 
different type of things going on globally around the world. Meteorites hitting the earth. We see near misses. Uh, we see all these things in nature speaking to us. Literally. So we need to get right. We need to realize there is a God who's kept us safe. Amen. But there's a time when, when we, we, can, we buck His ways where His patience gives way to His anger and His wrath. And if, when it happens, you can build the biggest bunker in the world. It's not going to help you. Somebody say, oh me, if you can't say amen. Secondly, we see God's goodness contracted, contrasted with the, the vengeance. In Nahum 1.7, the Lord is good. Somebody say amen. And a stronghold in the day of trouble. And He knoweth those who trust in Him. Now this is kind of a reprieve in the book of Nahum right here. This verse here is a reprieve. It's a verse of, of hope. It gives us some encouragement. Amen. Because, you know, I look around at my nation. Man, I see stuff that's bad going on. I don't see good things happening on the scale they need to be happening. I see a lot of bad things going on at the very highest levels. And it's discouraging. Amen. But I do believe this. We need to trust God. Church as the light, as the salt, as His people, we need to trust Him and believe in Him. And He gives us a promise, just like He did the people of Judah here in the Old Testament, that the Lord knoweth them that are His. And He's a strong tower. Amen. He's one that we can run to in a time of trouble. He's a place of safety uh, when the storm is raging all around us, we can go to Him and He'll protect us, His people. Amen? Why? Because He loves us. We belong to Him. The Lord knows those that are His. Somebody say Amen. amen. And He'll preserve us. You know, when God was about to unleash His wrath upon the people, there was always a remnant. Amen? No matter where they were, in Assyria, in Judah, in the United States, Anywhere in this world today, there are always a group of people, amen, called by His name, born again by the Spirit of God, those who belong to Him, trust in Him, and God will preserve and protect those that belong to Him. Amen. And you know what? Those that don't belong to Him, the call is always going out. Come unto me, all ye that labor, and I will give you rest. Amen. God doesn't take the delight in the death of the wicked. Amen. God doesn't want to judge. Why did it take 250 years for Him to unleash on Nineveh? Because He was waiting. He was trying. He was pleading with them to repent and turn away. That is how God is. God's message in America is still the same. Repent and turn back to me and I'll give you salvation. I'll give you rest. Why do I think, and as I mentioned earlier, that God is about to judge and He's going to judge, is I do not see the preaching from the pulpits of repentance. I do not see the preaching of the Word of God that judgment is coming. And I do not see people responding and looking and beating the breast saying, I'm a sinner, I need salvation. I do not see revival on the horizon. I see emotionalism out there. I see people who want more material things and want to be, quote, blessed, but I don't see people who want to be righteous. Somebody help me preach. Until we see a, a heart change in America, we will not see revival. But there are those, and I hope you're one of them, I know I am, who trust in the Lord. Yes. He's my strong tower. He's my salvation. 
if the economies of the world collapse, if things go wrong, I'm going. I, the Bible said, "I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread." Hallelujah! God will look after those who belong to Him. Amen. If his, if his judgment comes in a measure that's beyond what we've ever seen, He's going to rapture us out of here. Somebody say amen. amen. I don't know about you. I got a, like the Beatles said one time, I got a ticket to ride. Hallelujah. <laughs> amen. I got a ticket to ride. <laughs> I got a ticket to ride. She don't care. I'm a don't care. <laughs> Somebody said, Preacher, he, he's showing his age. Amen. Amen. Old man. Used to be long, tall, and had it all. Now I'm big, fat, and where is that? Come on. God is good. Amen. I mean, the Lord here and Nahum is going to overcome his adversaries, and that is, that is those who dare to stand against him and oppose his way. You know, we have people up there in power who've been given power. Remember when Pilate dealt with Jesus? He said, "I have the power." He said, "You don't have no power, but what I give you, man." Come on, man. We got people up in Washington who said, "Well, I have the power to throw this guy in jail and put that guy." You don't have nothing, man. When God starts sucking the oxygen out of the room, you guys are gone. Okay? You, you have power, but how are you exercising that power? God knows those who trust in Him. Amen? He knows those who are right with Him. In verse 15 of Nahum 1, Behold, and I love this scripture, on the mountains, the feet of Him who bring good news. Does that sound familiar to you guys? It was a song. That was a song too. It was also mentioned in the New Testament. Amen. Um, what's that song? How lovely on the mountains are the feet of Him who bring good news. Good news. Announcing peace. Proclaiming words of happiness. Our God reigns. Our God reigns. Oh, hallelujah. I'm excited now. We talk ourselves into a revival here. Come on. Glory to God. Somebody said, said don't sing, preacher. Come on. Hallelujah. That speaks of all of us in, Na in Nahum's day, in Jesus' day, and even in our day to day. We're blessed because we have the, the message of peace. We have the message of hope. We have the message of salvation. And God said, how beautiful. I got some big feet. I got size 15. How many got 15 shoes in here, man? I got a size 15. That's a big foot. Amen. And God said, how beautiful are their feet of Him who brings good news. Amen. Hallelujah. Celebrate your feasts, O Judah. Oh, look at that. I was telling them to do the word, to, to be faithful. What's the feast? Passover, unleavened bread, first fruits, Pentecost, trumpets, Day of Atonement, and Tabernacles. He says, celebrate those feasts. 
Amen. Israel, celebrate of Judah. Come on now. Pay your vows, for never again will the wicked one pass through you, for he is cut off completely. Now think about that. That's prophecy that is not altogether. Some of it has been fulfilled. Jesus showed up with the good news on the mountains, preaching peace. Isaiah 61. But we haven't seen him come back and cut off all the wicked from the land. That's coming. I believe we're close. You know, we, when we look at, at Assyria, later Babylon would come, but we, we see these, I've, I've said it before, a cycle. You know, Babylon did just what Assyria did, didn't they? God dealt with Nebuchadnezzar. He made him eat grass like an ox until he gave glory to the God of heaven. He humbled him. Amen. Then we see uh, the, the, the Medes and Persia, Cyrus. We see Darius. Come on. We see Alexander the Great. We see all making the same mistakes. Caesars. The Caesars. Amen. And the Antichrist will come and he'll make the ultimate mistake. And he'll bring it back full circle. But who's going to win? God's going to win. If we're on his side, we're going to win in the end. But, but do you see these cycles happening? What happened in, in, in Assyria is really happening here today. We'll see that as I finish out my last two points. And uh, Nahum's picture of God's awesome power and vengeance should have terrified Assyria. But it was good news to Judah. It was good news to Judah. It was a proclamation of peace. When I preach judgment, Pastor Jerry talks about judgment is coming globally. It should be a terrifying message to those in the world. But it should not terrify you. You should be excited. Why? We have a blessed hope. We have an expected end. We know things are going to wrap up and it's going to be favorable for us, God's people. Amen. That's a message of hope. Oh, preacher, I, I don't want to hear doom and gloom everybody. That's, that's a message of, I want to hear, what do you want to hear? I'm, this is a message of hope. Amen. It's not doom and gloom. If you're a sinner, it's bad. If you're a saint, it's good. Somebody say amen. amen. We're going to have to look at why God brought it. Look at none of his sins in Nahum 3, uh, in verse 1. Woe to the bloody city. It's full of lies and what? Robbery. Robbery. The prey departeth not. Think about that. Now last week I made a statement. Might have upset some people. I don't know. But I'm talking about the black man. Come on. And how he's kept in a cage. How he's kept in slavery. But do you know that's true? But it's not true just in the black man. I'm not, I'm not picking on that. It's true of the white people. Both white people that are enslaved too. You know why? They have no clue what's going on. They're lost. Totally lost. But I, I use the black man as an illustration because it's, it's just so, it's so vivid in our time. Because, you know, uh, it's a bloody thing. The rich in power, they just use the black man. You know, they extract his vote like it's automatic. You know, that automatically they're going to vote for the Democrat. 
But is the Democrat people he's voting for helping him at all? Elevating him? Do you know that that Detroit, Michigan, has been under Democrat control for over 50 years? It's the murder capital of the United States. Has the Democrats helped the people in Detroit? Not a bit. What's the prophet saying here? They, the prey are everywhere. What? Is, what we say, that's, that's kind of a weird. Uh, that's a weird. You know how the politicians view these people as food, as prey. We're going to slaughter you. You are just led to the slaughter. We're going to use your vote to maintain power. Let me ask you a question here. Because I don't believe, are you that stupid? Do I believe my people are that stupid? Let me ask you a question. Do you think these Democrat folks who invite these folks over the southern border care about these children? No. You think they care about these children? Now, they're the same people who will march for, for partial birth abortion so we can sell the baby parts. They, they really do care about children, don't they? Why do they want them to come over the border? What's the real reason? Now, now, now whose fault is it? Oh, that's right, it's Trump's fault, right? It's Trump. He did that. The fault of people coming over the border is not the United States or the government or the president. What parent would take his child into a dangerous situation like that? Would you take your job and just release them into a foreign country? Think for a moment. Think for, think for a moment. Why did the Democrats, because they could have fixed the DACA here, because Trump said, I'll go ahead and make how many millions legal, which upset the Republican right, didn't it? He said, I'll make them all legal, just, just, we'll just, just fix the problem. They didn't want to fix the problem. Why? The Democrats bringing them over here for what? Votes. Votes. That's all. In other words, we're going to maintain power. And we're losing power because Americans are not stupid enough to keep voting for us. We need to bring these people over, promise them the moon, just like they did the black man. They've been promising the black man since 1968. They're going to get them out of poverty. We're going to give them. We'll give you housing projects, we'll give you a check, we're going to do... And the black man ain't elevated himself from that, has he? Why? You give a man... She said, don't be pointing over here. You give a, you give a man a can of tuna fish, you feed him for a day. Right? You give him a fishing pole, and you feed him for life. When you give somebody just enough to a check every month, you, you, you're teaching them to rely on you to give them a check every month. You teach them how to have a skill and to get a job, he can feed himself. Do we have white slave owners today and plantation owners who keep people enslaved? No, no, we don't. But we have a government who's become master. And he's the slave owner. 
It doesn't matter whether you're white or you're black. It just matters whether you're going to rely on him or not. Am I lying, Eleanor? No, you're not lying. You're telling the truth. Okay. It's just as many whites as you get. Yeah, just as many, yes. I'm not, I'm not putting it into a racial thing, okay? I say the plight of the black is easier to follow because we've seen it so vividly illustrated in the last 50 years. It's called bribery. It's called unrighteousness. It's sin. Now, should people that are in trouble be helped out? Yes. Yes, absolutely. But they take advantage of it. We can take advantage of it. And also, you think about it this way. If you're a nation and you're going to help people in trouble, wouldn't you think you at least try to help those in your own in your own nation before you go reaching out? Oh, somebody say amen. Come on. Alright, we're moving on. Men of the sins, they were doing just what we see our government doing today. You see that? Verses uh, 4 of chapter 3. And because of the many harlotries of the harlot, the charming one, the mistress of sorceries, who sells nations, look at that word, by her harlotries and families by her sorceries. Now that language, Dave, used by Nahum is exactly the same language John uses in Revelation dealing with mystery Babylon the great, the harlot. Same language, same illustration. What is he talking about? Someone who, uh, what does a harlot do? They sell themselves for gain. They sell themselves for gain illicitly. And, and he's likening Nineveh, this great city. Now what is, it's, it's, it's amazing because you have Nineveh, the city, and Assyria, the country. Both came under the judgment. But Nineveh represented the country. The city did. We look at the United States and Babylon the Great is called a city that rules over the kings of the earth. But she's also a nation if you read on. It's a city and a nation. <laughs> and they control by selling themselves out to other people. What has America done to the world, the nations. Notice, Assyria was guilty of corrupting nations. She was a nation, but she corrupted nations by her harlotry. We sell people, people onto the dollar. We get people dependent upon our system. And then when they don't toe the line, what do we do? We bring in military action to submit them to our will. But we'll sell ourselves for a price. Hello? Why has Trump got everybody mad? Robbie, why has he got everybody mad? Because he said, I'm going to put America first. I'm going to put tariffs on these other countries' goods that they're selling to us until they drop there. Because we want free trade, equal trade. Now what president would do that who's a globalist? None. Now they, we're going to go through a period, we're starting to enter it now, sanctions just kicked in this last week. The other nations are going to retaliate by raising prices to see if they can break us. But you know who ultimately will win in a, in a trade war? The United States. You know why the United States will beat every nation in the world? Now the left wing, oh, they're going to go bananas, ballistic, to the end of the world, everything's going to collapse. 
because they're liars, okay? The reason, you know why we'll win, Robbie? Because they need us to sell their stuff to. Period. If we just say, all right, we ain't going to buy none of your goods, time, time would go, they go away overnight. So who's going to win in a trade war? Eventually we are. Now, they're going to test the political will of Mr. Trump by raising price tariffs on our goods to see if he can withstand the political pressure from the Democrat side. But we'll see what'll happen. We'll see what'll happen. But he's doing what's right for you, not for themselves. See, why does George H.W., Bill Clinton, George W., and Barack Obama hate Donald Trump? Because he is exposing them for what they really are. They're in it for themselves. Now, we're talking Democrats and Republicans. They're all corrupt. And Trump's not one of them. Now, do I, am I saying he's the perfect man? He's, I didn't say that. But he's the right man God put in. And he's exposing this. People need to take sides because judgment is coming. Now, what's ultimately going to happen? I, I, I can't write the book, but I do know the end of the story. Eventually, there's going to be a one-world government under an Antichrist, and judgment's going to fall all over the world. I know that. What will happen in the meantime? we got a lot of folks prognosticating revivals. And so, and I, man, that'd be great. Glory to God. I don't see it because I don't see the, the groundwork being laid to bring the revival. I don't see the preaching. Every revival we've ever had, the Great Awakenings, the Pentecostal revival all came on the heels of preaching out of the pulpits. Came no other way. I don't hear much coming out of the pulpits today if you want to know the truth. That's right, man. Yeah. Bless me, Lord. Yeah. Bless us for and no more. I need a third car for the garage. I need another vacation. I need some. Need to hit the lotto. I don't see it. No sorrow over sin. Look at verse three, uh, chapter five, verse three of Nahum. Behold, I am against you, declares the Lord of hosts. Chapter 3, verse 5. Nineveh is warned that because the Lord is against her, her defeat is certain. Babylon the Great is going down. In one hour, her great riches will come to nothing. That's what the Bible says. I believe that. Therefore, I know where we're headed. No matter how educated, alert, progressive a leader may be, and how popular one is among his followers, that leader's doomed if the Lord says of him, I am against you. Think about that. Nineveh would be treated like the prostitute that she really was. Her nakedness would be revealed. She would be stripped of all of her glory and of the defenses on which she prided herself. You know, when I watch, I, I do believe only time will tell when I watch President Bush and 
those in his cabinet, former military leaders, commanders standing there, and they were commissioning the Gerald R. Ford, the most sophisticated warship in American naval history, just several months ago. And the amount of speeches I heard, including the president, how prideful this ship is undefeatable. This is the greatest warship ever. God told me that ship will be the first one to go down when his judgment falls. Why? Because men are trusting in their war machines and their technology and not in him. That's pride. Nineveh was full of pride. I am undefeatable. Let's move on. Now, you know, she was considered or called a prostitute and full of pride. And in colonial days, back in the United States, prostitutes would sometimes be locked in, in the pillory or what we would call stocks. And then they would be showered with refuse. Today, we have prostitutes who are well-favored, totally unashamed, they enjoy the luxuries that their lack of scruples make them possible to have. Just look at Stormy Daniels. Am I preaching now or what? Come on. A prostitute selling herself for money. And she's made famous and put on the news night after night for the things that she has done. A man named Sidney Harris, syndicated newspaper columnist, wrote about the warden of a state prison who said this, My hardest job, quote, is to convince a young delinquent that he has done anything wrong. Harris goes on to point out that modern men tell us that the idea is that there is right and wrong is purely relative. And this lack of a belief in an absolute standard of right and wrong, he says, is a greater menace to the future of man than communism, fascism, or any other ism in the lexicon of human history, unquote. People don't even think they're doing wrong. They don't even believe they're doing wrong. They think it's all right. The fellow who grilled the senator, Rod Rosenstein, in front of Congress two weeks ago, I mean, remember that, is now all of a sudden six men come forward from the college that he was a wrestling coach at saying he was aware of sexual abuse and did nothing about it. Where have we heard this story before? The fellow from, uh, was it Alabama, running for office, all of a sudden five women came forward. He, 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 appropriate, inappropriately, and then as soon as he lost the election, it went away. Now we got the guy grilling Rosenstein saying, you're a criminal and we have your criminal offense. Next thing you know, he's under investigation a few days later. And they're grilling him now on charges. I believe they trumped up on him. Lack of morals on in our world today. And perhaps just like America is today, the people of Nineveh were quite unaware of their guilt and sin. Do you think? Is it possible? I'll just leave it in there. 
Number four, we see Nineveh's destruction. In chapter 3, verse 8, we see this. Are you Nineveh better than no Ammon? No Ammon. Some versions say just say no. Which was situated by the waters of the Nile with water surrounding her whose rampart was the sea whose wall consisted of the sea. Now, I mentioned that the different empires, the one before Assyria was Egypt. Okay, that's who he's talking about. The prophet is addressing the first world-dominating empire. Noamon was the Egyptian name for the Thebes. Have you ever heard of that? The Thebes. Okay. The Thebes was an ancient city on both sides of the Nile and upper Egypt. And it was a center of government, culture, commerce, wealth, beautiful temples, obelisks, and sphinxes. It had been regarded as impregnable, and its military resources were almost unlimited. And in spite of her resources, Noamon went into captivity. They were defeated. Her great men were bound in chains, and her children were dashed to pieces. It was the Assyrians themselves under Sargon the Great who sacked Thebes. He says, are you better? That's name. Are you better than Thebes? Thebes was, at, was as powerful as Nineveh and less an enemy of God than Nineveh was. An enemy of God's people. If God's judgment was what they have the saying came on her, how much more would it come on Nineveh? Each empire that has dominated the world in human history, and we're only talking about 5,000 years, Robert, 5,000. Each of those empires fell. Fell to corruption. Verse 16, you have increased your traitors more than the stars of heaven with the creeping locusts will strip and, and fly away with them. Notice that. What was the biggest characteristic of Nineveh there? Trading, commerce, money. What's the biggest thing the United States is involved in? about money. Trading. Value. Can you imagine walking into your house after a long day's work, turn, turn on the news, and the stock market just totally collapsed? The money in your bank is worth nothing overnight. Huh? Somebody said Billy Preston had a song one time. Somebody say amen. <laughs> Nothing from nothing leaves nothing. You gotta have something. They can lose all the money in the bag or lose much because I don't have nothing in there. Somebody say, oh me, <laughs> But that's where they were at in, in history, and God eventually would bring that judgment upon them because they had positioned themselves against the will of God. Where are we today? We see God. Is it God's will that women should kill their babies in their womb? Is it God's will that the American people 
should not have freedom of speech? Is it God's will that any man, whatever color or creed, should be treated poorly? Is it God's will that that we should promote gay marriage? So whose side are we on right now as we operating? Now you got a president who's well, he's put one judge on there, Mr. Gorsuch, he's a good man, he's done the right thing. He's gonna put another one, hopefully a couple of his old ones will get off, he can put some more on there, it really helps out. But you're going to see this week an assault over the next few weeks on everything that's right and godly. You're going to see an assault on that. Who's going to win this battle? Overall. Well, again, ultimately God will have His way. I will leave you with this. I want you as a believer to stand firmly in what is right. Do what's right. Be what's right. Don't compromise. And when you trust in the Lord, no matter how things go, He's going to get, He's a, you know that saying? I got your back. He'll have your back. He'll be with you. And you'll be alright. Amen? There's a great difference between God's message for ancient Nineveh and his message to Judah. Now Judah was God's people this time, during this time. At the time of Babylon the Great, will God have a people? Yeah, remember he tells the Jews, come out of her, my people, that you be not partaker of her sins. So there, there's always a remnant wherever God is dealing. Even in the worst of cities and empires or urban environments, there's always a remnant. And God is speaking to us, the remnant today. Okay? His message is that captivity and tribulation were ahead for God's people because they had sinned. Do you know you and I sin? And do you know what the difference is between you and I sinning and the world sinning? Is that God, because you belong to Him, will correct your big behind. Hello? He's going to straighten you out. He will spank you. <laughs> now, in history, we're looking at a history book right here, if you didn't know it. Judah would go into captivity to Babylon under Nebuchadnezzar. And eventually they would come out 70 years later under Nehemiah and all that, Ezra. And they would rebuild the temple and have a little place there when Jesus showed up. Then they would screw up again by rejecting Jesus and they'd be thrown out uh, and the temple would be destroyed in AD 70. And they'd go 1,900 years without a land. And God, true to His Word, would bring a remnant back. That happened in 1948. Then they're going to be attacked by Iran, Russia, and Turkey. That's all. We're right in that time frame. Hello? And God would defend them because they're not coming out of that land. Come on. And ultimately Christ will return to rule over this people. So He has a plan. And He has a plan for the church. Okay? And though you, your life right now may be difficult, may be one of, you know, I don't know why I'm going through this stuff. I don't know why I have such a hard time. Seems like every time something goes good, then a bad thing happens. I don't know what's going on. 
God is changing you. He's working on you. You know, no matter what you go in, you know, you could lose your health, you could lose your wealth, you could lose a lot of things, your friend, you could lose all kinds of stuff, but you can't lose God. He's the friend that sticketh closer than a brother, and no matter what you in, He will turn it around for your good. And I can tell you what He is doing when you go through the world. Even when you screw up and make, make a dumb mistake, He's like, man, why did I do that? Man, that was so stupid. He'll use it for your good. Man, I look back over my life, man, I have pulled some bonehead stunts, boy. I'm like, why did I do that? Or get involved in this type of thing or that thing. Why? That was stupid. I should have. But I learned something by the pain. See, your greatest teacher is your pain, your suffering. And then when you go through pain and God brings you to a new place, you, you can appreciate something a lot more than you would have had you not been through a process. You say, that's the truth. And the world, they just, when something bad, they, they just crumble under and destroy them. When something bad happens to you, the Lord said, I'm not going to leave you nor forsake you. I'm right there with you. We're going to bring you through and you're going to be stronger and better for it. Why? John, he's preparing you for a glory that you can't see coming. But it's coming. He's preparing you for a kingdom where you will be able to utilize all the things that you, you would like to do and try to do now, but it didn't seem to work out. But he's getting you ready. We're not perfect. We're not where we need to be. I'm not even close. But He's working. And I understand that. I can see it. And you can trust in Him. Please, trust in Him. He'll get us there. Now He would take Judah into captivity, but ultimately they would come out. That's the difference. Nineveh would be completely destroyed. Never again to rise. Nineveh would be gone. Why did he wait 250 years? That's an untold amount of souls who are lost forever. God is patient. I want to see him get up there and bring justice to the FBI. I want to see Comey and Mueller and those guys, Hillary and, and Obama face justice. And if it were up to me, they'd do it right now. But I'm not God. They will face justice. For their crimes, they will. It'll be in His time. They, maybe He's waiting because maybe, maybe they get saved. Oh, that's almost like saying a curse word in church, ain't it? Oh my God, he preacher said God could save Obama, or He could save Hillary. Yes, Lord. Do you hate them? I don't hate anybody. You think God hates me? I, I, I got in a, almost got in a fist fight. And I, I wasn't going to throw the punch, but the guy I thought was going to throw a fist fight, I'm going back 20 years in a church where a guy, I said, Hitler could, God loved Hitler. And he was like, no way he didn't love Hitler. Well, you don't know God the way I do. Sure he did. Did that mean I uh, 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 set to his crimes? Absolutely not. No. But God is, we don't want to be like the elephant, just looking at one part of God 
None of us have a good view of God. Hello? Amen. We just don't. If you think you do, you got another thing coming. Amen? The, the book of Nahum teaches one thing. God is the Lord of history. He's given man a moral law that undergirds all that is best in society. Amen. And this moral law may be slighted for a time or even deliberately broken, but those who ignore it will finally be crushed by it. Judgment is imminent. It will come. It will not hold off forever. You know, the mills of God's grind slowly. For our impatient human nature, it seems like it's barely moving. But when God's millstone rolls over the center, it grinds mighty fine. Let's stand this morning. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.